Hello, and welcome to Mr. Sorensen's Weekly World History Podcast. Please don't forget to listen to episode, episode two, on, two on feudalism, because some of that information could be on this week's quiz. Also, don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the episode for a chance for some bonus points on your weekly quiz. So this week, we were looking at the power of a king compared to the power of the pope during the Middle Ages. The king was the head of the feudal society. He was the most powerful lord in an area. The king's power came from the fact that they made the laws, provided people below them in society with land to protect them. They were also very wealthy from charging the people below them taxes. The kings believed their power came from God alone, not from the people below them. So the king believed that the only one they answered to was God. This will put them in direct conflict with the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope. Remember, the position of the king was passed down through the family, which is called a dynasty, and it usually goes to the previous king's oldest son. There was a whole other system separate from the feudal system in Western Europe, and it involved the Roman Catholic Church. In the area where the Western Roman Empire once was, there was really only one type or denomination of Christianity, and it was the Roman Catholic Church. Over 90% of the, Rome, of the population of Western Europe followed the Roman Catholic Church and its leader, the Pope. The Pope's power com- comes from his position as leader of the church throughout Europe. He owns all the land of the church. The church is going to offer people a path to heaven, and he was the one leading them on that path to heaven. And he was wealthy because of the church offerings that are called tithes. While kings had a lot of land and power in their kingdoms, but nothing outside of their kingdoms, popes owned the land churches were on in every city and town in every kingdom in Europe. This made the pope the largest landowner in all of Europe. He also is in control of all the church leadership. At the bottom of the church leadership are the priests, monks, and nuns. Priests are the preachers or pastors of an individual Catholic church. They are the ones who would be saying church service and reading from the Bible at Sunday's church service. Some people choose to to devote their lives to the church and become monks for men or nuns for women. Monks entered a monastery and the nuns entered a convent, also called a nunnery. Monks and nuns spend a lot of their time praying, but they also do things like give food and money to the poor and provide shelter for travelers. If a priest does a really good job running his church, he could be made a bishop. A bishop oversees all the Catholic churches in an area. If a bishop did a good job, he would then be given control of a larger area and would be called an archbishop or cardinal. The cardinals are the highest group besides the pope, and usually the new pope is chosen from the cardinals. The cardinals are also the ones who elect the new popes. None of the people in the leadership of the Catholic Church get married. They devote their whole lives to prayer and service to God. Every other Catholic in Europe, whether it was a king or a serf, were part of the believers or laity. This made them below all of the leaders of the church. The church would believe that a priest was above a king. The Roman Catholic Church was the only thing that connected or united all the kingdoms of Europe. Every kingdom of Europe during the Middle Ages followed the Roman Catholic Church from the king down to the serfs. The church also offered the only centers for learning during the time. The church established universities in order to train priests and other church leadership. Universities during this time were not open to anyone who wanted to go. Only the very wealthy and people training to become priests were able to attend the universities. Most of the population involved remained uneducated. 
The Catholic Church also influenced architecture, which is a fancy word for buildings. Since the, since the church was so wealthy, they wanted to show off their wealth by building huge cathedrals, the, which is the principal Catholic Church building of a bishop's diocese or area he's in charge of in the large cities of Europe. There were two many main architectural styles in the Middle Ages, Romanesque and Gothic. Romanesque means Roman-like. They featured curved or arched windows. Gothic was definitely the more decorated or fancy style. Gothic wanted to build taller, thinner walls so that they could include beautiful stained glass windows. So they included a new feature called the flying buttress. The flying buttress served as kind of like a brace on the outside of the taller, thinner walls to help hold them up. Gothic architecture also includes the Gothic arches or the, on the inside of the buildings. The Gothic arch is a double or even triple arch that, where they all connect in the center. That makes the arch even stronger. Uh, another new religion, uh, we talked about it in the last unit, but we're going back to it. Islam is today's second largest religion with over 1.5 billion followers. And it is the youngest religion we've talked about. It was founded by a man named Muhammad in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, around 610 AD. People that follow Islam are called Muslims, and they worship in a mosque. Their holy book is called the Quran. Their basic beliefs are called the five pillars, and they include belief. They worship one God, which is monotheism, and they call him Allah. They also believe that his prophet is Muhammad. Prayer, Muslims must pray five times a day facing the city of Mecca. Charity, Muslims must give to and help the poor. Fasting, Muslims do not eat or drink from sunrise to sunset during the holy month of Ramadan. And pilgrimage, Muslims must make a holy journey to Mecca once in their lifetime if they're financially able, able, to, do, able to do so. Islam spread in two major ways, through conquest and through trade. Upon the death of Muhammad, Muslim armies took territories in North Africa and the Middle East and even into Europe. The soldiers spread their religion as they went. Muslim armies didn't make Christians and Jews become Muslim, and they were pretty tolerant of other faiths. They would make them pay a tax, but they didn't force them to go become Muslim. Islam also spread through trade. As Islamic traders traveled, they brought Islam with them. This allowed Islam to spread through the Silk Road to places like Pakistan and Afghanistan. It also allowed them to spread Islam to Ghana and Mali in Africa. As Islam spread, it's going to bring it, it into direct contact and conflict with the major religion in Europe, Christianity. Muslims are going to capture the city of Jerusalem from the Byzantine Empire. Jerusalem is a very important city to Muslims, Christians, and Jews. The Byzantine Empire is weak and cannot defend itself, so it's going to ask the Pope to get his followers to help. So in 1098, Pope Urban II calls on Christians throughout Europe to take up the cross or go fight to get Jerusalem back. He will claim this is what God wants them to do and that anyone who does will go to heaven. So Christian men in all levels of society are going to go. There are going to be a total of nine crusades, which should give you an idea of how successful they were. During the First Crusade, the, Christian captures, the Christians capture some of the pieces of the Holy Land and even briefly capture Jerusalem. But since they don't hold on to it, the First Crusade is a failure. The Second Crusade was a complete failure. Saladin, who was a Muslim leader, united the Muslims and recaptured Jerusalem again. 
For the Third Crusade, the Pope called out the big guns when he called on the three most powerful kings in Europe at the time. Emperor Frederick of the Holy Roman Empire, King Philip II of France, and King Richard I, or Richard the Lionhearted of England. Frederick never even makes it to the Holy Land because he drowns when taking a swim. King Philip ends up leaving the crusade early, mostly because he didn't get it along with Richard. So Richard the Lionheart, he is called that because he was supposed to be brave, fights on for years, but is unable to take back the Holy Land. He does sign a peace treaty with Saladin that allowed safe passage for Christians that wanted to visit the Holy Land. So I guess it wasn't a complete loss. In the Fourth Crusade, Venetian merchants tricked the European Christians into attacking the Byzantine Christians in Constantinople. So the Crusaders never make it to the Holy Land and never fight the Muslims. This is the last crusade I'm going to really talk about, but let's put it this way. The Crusades don't go well for the Christians. By the time all is said and done, the Muslims will still control the Holy Land. There are some good things about the Crusades, though. After feudalism had kind of separated the European kingdoms from each other and the people in Asia and Africa, the Crusades are going to make the Europeans realize what they've been missing. Crusaders brought back products from their travels. This is going to make the people back in Europe want those goods, too. This demand for these goods is going to cause trade to open up between the Europeans and the East. Some of the products that the Europeans wanted were coffee, rice, lemons, mirror, sugar, cotton cloth, mattresses, the game of chess, the number system we use today, and a lot more. The Crusades will change Europe in other ways, too. Kings began buying the land from the lords and vassals and taxing the people to pay for the Crusades. This strengthened the power of the king or the monarch and weakened the power of the lords and vassals. With kings being more powerful and, control, and controlling more of the land again, this is going to mean the beginning of the end of, the feudals, of feudalism. Eventually, the lords are going to get tired of overly powerful kings in England, and they're going to try to limit the power of the king some. And this is going to first happen in England in 1215. King John was just a bad guy. He kept raising taxes to pay for war with France, that they were losing the war badly. King John also refused to follow his own laws. The lords, or what they call barons in England, had finally had enough. Remember, these are wealthy people, and they made him sign a document called the Magna Carta, or Great Charter, if he wanted to remain king. The Magna Carta did not help anyone but the barons, really, but it was the first time in European history that a king's power will be officially limited. A couple of things the king agreed to that all future kings and queens of England would have to follow are no king could raise taxes without the permission of the barons and a council of barons would make sure the king followed the laws like everyone else. King John will not be king for very long after he signs the Magna Carta. He gets sick and dies, but every English king after him will have to follow this agreement whether they like it or not. So extra credit this week is you'll need to look up who King John's older brother was. He was the King of England just before John was. You'll need to write the answer at the bottom of the bubble sheet on Friday's quiz to get your five points. Well, I hope this helps, and I'll talk to you next week on Mr. Sorensen's Weekly World History Podcast. Ciao, Bella.